Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective coming to you live in Johannesburg, South Africa. We are on the frequency 7230 kilohertz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kilohertz on the 19 meter band to West Africa as well as DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa Tabisoluhoko rather with Tabiso Luhoko and Figile Lingwati. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, South Africa's President Jacob Zuma calls for calm in Lesotho. Rwandan politician Diane Rigara has been released from prison and Burundian refugees agree to be repatriated. In economics news, Nigeria exits recession but recovery remains fragile. And in sports news, Capo Verde beats South Africa in World Cup qualifier. But first up, the news with Tabiso Lahuku. Good morning. South Africa's Constitutional Court has reserved a judgment on whether Parliament should institute impeachment proceedings against President Jacob Zuma. The opposition DA, EFF, COPE and the UDM want the court to order National Assembly Speaker Balegambete to impeach Zuma for lying to Parliament over the Nkandla upgrading saga. Chief Justice Mohwem Mohwing says that the court needs clarity on why it should intervene in Parliament's apparent instability, or rather, inability, to hold Zuma to account. We've been sitting here for hours on end. We have factual allegations contained in documents. What is it that stops anybody from presenting their position based on what transpires or transpired from the uh, public protector's report, what transpired from this court's judgment, what transpired from any other investigation, whether it's by the SIU, from this debate between you and your colleagues and this engagement. South Africa's National Assembly has rejected the DA motion to call for the dissolution of the National Assembly and hold early elections. The DA had argued that the country could not afford to have the ANC in power until the next scheduled elections in 2019. The motion brought by DA Chief Whip John Steenhaysen was supported by his party, Ahang and Cope. Other opposition parties voted with the ANC to reject the motion. House Chairperson Cedric Froelich announced the results. The result of the division is as follows. Those in favour of the motion, 83. Those against, 229. There are seven abstentions and the motion is therefore rejected. Boko Haram members have killed four farmers in a drive-by shooting in Bono State in Nigeria's volatile east. Local vigilantes say the insurgents are riding on motorcycles open fire on farmers working in their fields in Ngao Fato Bolumari village. Last week, a farmer was shot dead while four others were abducted by the Islamists near the town of Kunduga, some 40 kilometers from Maiduguri. 
12,000 Burundian refugees in Tanzania are expected to return to Burundi in a voluntary repatriation program due to kickoff on Thursday. The UNHCR says it's preparing reception centers to host them upon their arrival before being ferried to their respective homes. UNHCR representative in Burundi. The issue we discussed with the minister was obviously the return, the voluntary return of refugees from Tanzania. We just came from Dar es Salaam to a meeting and we are working together to ensure the 12,000 people who have said they want to return to Burundi can come to Burundi in conditions of safety and dignity. And we are working with the government, we are establishing reception centers as the minister have read to you. U.S. Attorney General Jeff Sessions has confirmed that the policy which protects 800,000 young undocumented migrants from deportation is being rescinded. Sessions say the program known as the DACA, introduced by President Donald Trump's predecessor Barack Obama, is unconstitutional. Ending the previous administration's disrespect for the legislative process is an important first step. All immigration policies should serve the interests of the people of the United States, lawful immigrant and native-born alike. Congress should carefully and thoughtfully pursue the types of reforms that are right for the American people. Our nation is comprised of good and decent people who want their government's leaders to fulfill their promises and advance an immigration policy that serves the national interest. It's Channel Africa. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Thank you, Tabi. So it's 8.06 Central African Time, and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa on this Wednesday, September the 6th, the 249th day of 2017, with 116 days left in the year. In our top story, South Africa's President Jacob Zuma has called for calm in Lesotho after the army's commander was assassinated. Lieutenant General Guantle Motsumoto and two other top officers were shot dead in Maseru yesterday. President Zuma says he will meet with Deputy President Sil Ramaphosa, who is the special SADC envoy to the Mountain Kingdom, to discuss the situation. Noma Bulani reports. Eyewitnesses claim Colonels Difo Hashadzi and Bulani Sichele forced their way into the office of Army Head Lieutenant General Khwatlane Mutsumutsu and demanded to see him. They then heard shots being fired from inside. Both Hashati and Shichele were implicated in the killing of former army commander Mabarankwe Mahao in June 2015. The pair neither confirmed nor denied their involvement. Danki Mutai, the country's principal secretary for defense, says investigations into the motive for the killings are underway. Uh, for now, investigations are still going on and uh, the, the, the leadership of the Institute Defense Force will be able to brief us at the later stage as they are still pursuing those who might have been involved also in that conspiracy. 
Just last month, the former Prime Minister, Mutejwa Mudzeng, fled the country to seek political asylum in South Africa. The former Defence Minister, Tidi Mukosi was arrested. Meanwhile, President Jacob Zuma says he's quite surprised by the turn of events after Lesotho leaders gave Sadiq the assurance that the situation will return to normal. Speaking to the SABC in China, Zuma says upon his return, he will meet with Deputy President Cyril Ramaphosa to get an understanding of how things could have ended up this way. Now, this is what we did not need in Lesotho at this point in time. We've just gone through difficulties in Lesotho. Some of the leaders had just come back So I'm hoping that we can have a peaceful Lesotho. As to how they're handling things, I don't know. I'm sure the deputy president, who is a facilitator, when I get back home, he will be able to brief me better as to what is happening. From the Sadak point of view, we thought that the Lesotho problem has ended. And this is what we were promised by the new prime minister, who said, now there's going to be peace in Lesotho. Actions that people take there must not lead into another sort of situation. Hello and welcome to Channel Africa, the African Perspective. We broadcast from Johannesburg in South Africa and our main aim is to provide you with news, views, knowledge and entertainment from Africa to Africans and listeners from around the world. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Diana Wanyonye in Mombasa. For Channel Africa, I am Kumbero Munjarere in Johannesburg. Channel Africa, Kinshasa, Jean-Noël Bamweze. Reporting for Channel Africa from Zambia, I am Hilda Kekelwa. Channel Africa, Bringing you the African perspective. The South African National Assembly has rejected the DA motion to call for the dissolution of the National Assembly. The motion that was brought by DA Chief Whip John Steenhuizen was only supported by Achang and Cope. Other opposition parties and the ANC gave their reasons why they did not support the motion. Our parliamentary correspondent, Mercedes Bessent, sent us this report. When he opened the debate, John Steenhuizen described President Jacob Zuma and the ANC as the same WhatsApp group, saying South Africa needs a fresh mandate from the electorate. Steenhuizen said ANC MPs have failed to remove the president during a no-confidence motion recently, despite the cloud hanging over his head. On the back of Nkandla, the State of Capture report, the 783 charges of fraud, corruption and racketeering, Despite his picking off of good men and women in your own party, one by one, despite his driving away of excellence and inducting incompetence, you, apart from a few brave and men, women and men on your benches who saw madness and tried to stop it, chose instead to own him. The ANC had an opportunity to do right by the people and our constitution and to stop the madness. But now you have become it. Mr. Jacob Zuma is the ANC, and the ANC is Mr. Jacob Zuma. Same WhatsApp group. ANC MP Richard Mdakani hit back at the DA, questioning the rationality of its motion. The question then arises, Honorable Steinhaisen, 
as who has given you such bad advice to table such a motion, and it is someone in your own caucus, then your cause is in trouble. Your cause is in trouble. The motion says more about the state of your own organization. Today it is leadership. Since if your caucus has agreed to such a motion, you are in fact making an admission that we have failed to represent the people who voted for you, and so you want to dissolve the National Assembly despite the oath you took. The EFF, which rejected the motion, warned the DA against what it calls self-destruction. EFF Chief Whip Floyd Chibambu. The DA must not take advantage of the mercy that we have given them. You must not take the vote that we gave you in the municipalities for granted. You must not take the fact that we allow you to lead critical motions for granted. Don't undermine us. Don't undermine other political parties. Don't undermine the EFF in particular. Because you're not going to go anywhere. After, after this process, like you just go there and you know it was a multi-party process. You announced that you want to dissolve parliament. With which power to dissolve parliament? Who gave you the mandate to dissolve parliament? So the DA is cautioned officially that don't engage in self-destructive activities and programs. IFP Chief Whip Naren Singh, whose party does not support the motion, said the ANC should be given space and the country should not find itself in the same situation as it happened with the recent early elections in Britain. Their national conference is just weeks away. The IFP is of the view that we need to afford them the space to act in the best interests of our country and to make necessary changes. Let us not be in a hurry to do a Theresa May, rushing into a general election that could leave us with a hung parliament. African People's Convention leader Temba Godi, Ahmed Sheikimam from the NFP and the ACDP's Kenneth Mishwe all rejected the DA motion. In April this year, the Cape Chamber of Commerce at its 213th annual general meeting called for national general elections as soon as possible. It does make sense that it is the DA that has tabled this motion for it is an ideological fact that the DA is the echo chamber of big business. What, what is the basis for this motion? The DA has said a lot of nothing. There is nothing new to the daily positions that they regurgitate. The APC supports the rejection of this motion. Honorable Chairperson, what we see here today is another opportunity to grandstand. What we see here again is another opportunity to want power, to want control, to want to control the resources of this country. That is all we see here. Now, Honorable Chairperson, what the Democratic Alliance is doing today is what they mastered from the apartheid days, which is the divide and rule principle and policy. That divide and rule principle and policy they are also using in other political parties and also on the African National Congress. Not long ago, if you heard how they were praising you today, they say it's the whole ANC. Last week it was only President Zuma. The ACDP believes that the draft resolution in the name of the chief whip of the opposition 
calling for the dissolution of the National Assembly is opportunistic and not in the best interest of the country. The unprecedented number of motions of no confidence in President Jacob Zuma that have been debated in this House are testament to the fact that members of this House have tried to hold the executive to account. Sadly, all motions of no confidence in the President have failed because most members of the ANC continue to defend the compromised President. Freedom Front Plus leader Peter Grunewald highlighted the possible consequences to dissolve the National Assembly, saying it will also have a burden on the taxpayer. That will mean that in 90 days we will have to have an election on national level. By implication, that means that we have an election this year and then in 2019 we will have an election on provisional provincial level. That in fact means that if you take a five-year period, we will have three elections, which is just not affordable for the taxpayers of South Africa. The UDM and the AIC were also not in support of the motion. UDM Chief Whip Nabayomzi Kwankwa and Philip Gallo from the AIC. The other issue which you must also consider is that the zip-zap machine tender is yet to be concluded since it lapsed. It is also reported to have a budget shortfall of 300 million rands and all of these things need to be addressed before we go to elections to make sure that the country is ready for elections, that South Africans themselves take it upon themselves to sanction the African National Congress for Kwanzimbaza Muzamo. Dissolving Parliament before the expiry of its term is logistically unviable. The IEC's readiness is muted if one considers its already earmarked budget. Ahang parliamentary leader Andris Loyama and Deidre Kata from COPE were all in support of the DA motion. Honorable members, if we don't dissolve this parliament, we are giving a license for looters to continue. While we are folding our arms, we might as well start negotiating extraditing treaty with Dubai. I'm not sure whether they will still be here after 2019 to face the arrest. Honorable members, the continuation of Zuma administration is equal to death of transparency and aspiration and hopes of our people. We must dissolve this parliament and stop this bleeding sore and reclaim the dignity of our people. I thank you. Now, at first, we were concerned about the readiness of the Independent Electoral Commission to have a snap election. But after we confirmed with the IEC their readiness to have a snap election within 90 days and that it will not be affected by the High Court ruling, the Congress of the People has been at the forefront of calls for the dissolution of Parliament since 2015. And even President Zuma was challenged to an earlier... Honourable Member, your time is up. Order. Given its failures to give its and support the motion. Thank you. The motion was rejected by the majority of the National Assembly members. After voting from their allocated seats, House Chairperson Cedric Frolik announced the results. The result of the division is as follows. Those in favour of the motion, 83. Those against, 229. There are seven abstentions and the motion is therefore rejected. South Africa's National Assembly House Chairperson Cedric Frolick ending that report by Mercedes-Benz in Cape Town.
It's 8.20 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Let's go back in time to today in 1997. A public funeral was held for Princess Diana at Westminster Abbey in London six days after her death in a car crash in Paris. That's today in history in the year 1997. Africa Rise and Shine. Africa, Zosa, Africa, Amuka na Unai. Rwandan police have released Diana Rigara and her two family members a few hours after they were arrested in the capital, Kigali. Police say the trio was arrested for interrogation following accusations that include tax evasion and forgery. But Rigara says the accusations are politically motivated. Silvanas Karamera reports from Kigali. Something close to the move happened in the evening on Monday in Kigali at the home of Diana Guigara. This is when the police discovered the members of the family holed up in the kitchen of their massive home after an attempt to open the gate in vain. Three family members, Diana Guigara, Anna Guigara and their mother had been issued with the multiple summons which they did not respect according to the national police here. But shortly after getting arrested, an exchange of bitter words filled the ground as the police tried to force them to enter their cab. Yeah, for days and days. And now they say that we are the criminals, that we are the ones at fault. They are accusing us of, of, of baseless, they have baseless accusations. And now we are the ones at fault. And now they want to make us look like, like we are the ones who are the criminals. This is all a theater. You just see It's a theater, and he knows it. That's why he has no answer for it. The trial was then driven to criminal investigation department for questioning. Police spokesman Teos Badaji said they were arrested for failing to report to the CID even after several summons. According to the law, a warrant to bring by force is not an order of detention, but rather an order to apprehend the suspect. Once they turned down initial summons, later in the evening, the police spokesperson, S. Peters Badaji, said they are being investigated for two charges, one of forgery and another related to tax evasion for their family businesses. They are accused of tax evasion. We are working with Rwanda Revenue Authority, but specifically for Diana Guigara, she is accused of forged documents, and to this point, they are going to be questioned, and lawyers will be taking decisions. But on Tuesday morning, police wrote on their Twitter page that the trial was questioned and later escorted back home. Diane Guigara had earlier said that they had refused to respect the police summons because they had no means of getting to the police station. Diane Guigara made a failed bid at the presidency after she ran short of the minimum requirements by the National Electoral Commission here. But she has always said Whatever before her family is politically motivated, an accusation that has ever been denied by authorities here. Silvanus Kremera, reporting for Channel Africa in Kigali. Kenya's Electoral Commission has announced October 17th as the date for fresh presidential elections. 
The race will only be between incumbent Uhuru Kenyatta and opposition leader Raila Odinga. The Supreme Court of Kenya on Friday invalidated August presidential elections and ordered that the Electoral Commission holds fresh polls in 60 days. For more analysis on the situation, our Nairobi correspondent Sarah Kimani spoke to Njonjo Mue, a lawyer in Kenya. As a lawyer, I think uh, it marks a very bright day for Kenya because in 2010, Kenya adopted a new constitution which uh, replaced what we had at the time, which is a parliamentary democracy where parliament was supreme and made Kenya a constitutional democracy where the constitution is supreme and any law that is uh, inconsistent with the constitution is void and every public officer uh, serves under the constitution. So uh, the Supreme Court ruled that the election was not conducted according to the dictates of that constitution and therefore upheld our cardinal legal principle of our constitution being the most um, important uh, determinant of how we conduct our public affairs. A lot of people are worried that the country will not hold politically and that it will have such huge economic implications. Do you agree? The country will stand. And um, the country will stand because this is a country that is uh, governed by the rule of law. Um, there will be uh, costs. There's an, of course, the economic cost of having a repeat elections. Kenya has uh, had the most expensive elections in the world. So doing it twice over is obviously a dent uh, on our, the public purse. Um, there will be a cost with regard to a slowdown in economic activity, which we've had since the year began because we've been on an election campaign mode and this is now being extended for another 60 days. That is not in doubt, but it is a small price to pay um, compared with a price of having uh, a rigged election, uh, of having an illegitimate government taking power because uh, the example we've seen in other African countries, the end result of that kind of um, process is that countries go into conflict and civil war. Kenyatta said he would respect the decision of the court, but he's also enraged, outraged, and he's very angry with the judiciary. How would you take that reaction by President Kenyatta? President Kenyatta's outbursts are unfortunate at best. Let us remember that going back in 2013, his controversial win at that election was confirmed by the Supreme Court. At the time, he did not have a problem with the Supreme Court. He has been on record several times as saying that the law should not only be good when it works for you, that the law should be good all the time. And although it may dis- dis- the outcome of judicial processes may disappoint, uh, that nonetheless does not mean that uh, we, we attack the judiciary or the persons of the judges. So what he has done over this last weekend is unfortunate. It is also very alarming because he is attacking... Uh, the constitutional office of the Chief Justice, the person of the Chief Justice, the Supreme Court, all of which have been established by the same law that made him president. Odinga is uh, excited. Uh, He's already hit the campaign trail. But he's also immediately calling for the removal of this commission. Remember, he was the one who instituted the removal of the previous commission. I think that flows from the cause of things. If the Supreme Court has found that the election was so badly run, If the Supreme Court says that the IEBC violated the Constitution and the election law, 
that there were massive illegalities and irregularities of the magnitude that caused uh, the court to overturn an election only the third time in the world and the first time in Africa, then one has to wonder, how can that same uh, team, that same institution, be entrusted with running uh, another election in 60 days' time? Can another uh, commission be constituted now and an election held? Well, um, if we are to go strictly by the dictates of the constitution, it is unlikely because uh, election commissioners, um, uh, not the secretary, but the commissioners themselves, have security of tenure. They cannot be removed. The process of removing an election commissioner or the chairman, for instance, is a long-winded process uh, which would take um, many months. However, having said that, uh, Kenya has had turning points in our history where we have said that for the survival of our nation, we need to come together and have a political conversation as to how we break uh, out of a particular political logjam in order to move forward. What exactly should be happening behind the scenes? The election commission uh, should now give a new timetable uh, of what needs to happen. The chief justice said in his judgment that an election is not an event, it is a process. And this process, beginning now until the time we vote, the time the votes are tallied, the time the results is announced, will be under the, script, the, the spotlight by Kenyans to assure themselves now, this process meets the dictates of the constitution of Kenya and is expressive of the sovereign will of the Kenyan people. That was Kenyan lawyer Njonjo Mue speaking to Sarah Kimani in the capital, Nairobi. It's 8.30 Central African time and our headlines up next with Tabisoluhoku. Thanks, Lulu. SADC to send a ministerial team to Lesotho to get first-hand information on the apparent assassination of Army Commander Guantle Matsumoto, as well as the killing of two senior Army officers by Matsumoto's bodyguards. South Africa's Constitutional Reserve's judgment on whether Parliament should institute impeachment proceedings against Jacob Zuma and strong winds from Hurricane Irma Irish Islands in the Eastern Caribbean. Channel Africa News. It's 8.31 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Now let's go back in time to today in 1966. South African Prime Minister H.F. Verwurt is stabbed to death by Parliamentarian Service Officer Dimitri Tsafendas. Verwurt was sitting at his desk in the House of Assembly when Tsafendas attacked him with a knife. During his trial, Tsafendas claimed that a giant tapeworm inside of him had instructed him to kill the Prime Minister. That was today in history in the year 1966. Change Your Game is a program dedicated to SMEs and entrepreneurs on the African continent. 
Welcome to Change Your Game on Channel Africa, the African perspective. We're coming to you from Johannesburg, South Africa. It is a weekly entrepreneurial program that targets entrepreneurs, especially young entrepreneurs on the African continent. Before we even, you know, talk about the journey, please tell me what an entrepreneurologist is. <laughs> well, that's a question that I get um, everywhere I go. Catches every Friday at 1000 hours Central African time and Saturday at 1300 hours Central African time. Change your game, empowering the next generation of outstanding African entrepreneurs. Nearly 12,000 Burundian refugees in Tanzania are expected to return to Burundi in a voluntary repatriation program due to kick off this Thursday. The UNHCR says it is preparing reception centers to host them upon their arrival before being ferried to their respective homes. This comes two days after hundreds of refugees based in the camp of Nduta in Tanzania demonstrated to ask for voluntary repatriation. Bernard Bankukira reports from Bujumbura. Speaking to the media shortly after meeting with the Burundi Home Affairs on this Tuesday, Aben Bilinyi, the UNSCR representative in Burundi, announced they are preparing safe conditions to welcome Burundian refugees from Tanzania since September 7th this year. He said this is the result of a tripartite meeting they had between Burundian government, the UNSCR, and the government of Tanzania to discuss the repatriation of 12,000 Burundian refugees who registered for voluntary repatriation. Five reception centers are being prepared, as said by Abel Mbilinyi. The issue we discussed with the minister was obviously the return, the voluntary return of refugees from Tanzania. We just came from Dar es Salaam for a meeting and we are working together to ensure that 12,000 people who have said they want to return to Burundi can come to Burundi in conditions of safety and dignity. And we are working with the government, we are establishing reception centers, as the minister have read to you, in south, in Makamba, in the east, we have several reception centers, Royigi town, Songore, Nyabitare, uh, on the valley near Gisuru, and also we have a transit center in Bujumbura. So these facilities are now being uh, prepared to receive even more to the extent that uh, we would like to review once the centers are are ready in a few days review and increase the number of people who can return before the cultivation season. He said a three-month assistance will be provided to returnees to help them settle at their respective homes upon arrival. We will assist the returnees when they come. And uh, as I said, the World Food Program, they are going to give food for three months. And thereafter, we will see with the other agencies like FAO for assistance, which will be continued for integration. We are also looking with the other UN, UN agencies on how much to help. So we will do everything so that the people come who come do not become more vulnerable. On his side, Burundi Home Affairs Minister thinks figures given by the UN agency in charge of refugees in Tanzania are exaggerated. He says they have requested the government of Tanzania to conduct a census to know the exact figures of Burundian refugees in Tanzania instead of relying on the current ones because they are the same as those given in 2015 
when refugees fled there. We have never gone to Tanzania to run an investigation, but if you trust the figures given by the UNHCR in Tanzania, Burundian refugees might be more than 100,000. During the tripartite meeting, we have asked the government of Tanzania to verify the figures because figures advanced by the UNHCR in Tanzania since those Burundian fled there in 2015 have remained the same since then, while we have already received more than 100,000. The question is whether we still have the 100,000 still in Tanzania. We recommend that the verification be done on the field through a census which will enable us to know exactly the number we will receive in days to come. We believe that all will register for turning, but the principle is that repatriation is voluntary. The political crisis that broke out in April 2015 following the decision of President Pierre to run for a third term in office triggered a massive displacement of Burundians in fear of violence fleeing to neighboring countries, particularly Tanzania and Rwanda. Tanzania is believed to host more than 100,000 refugees clustered in refugee camps located in the western region of Kigoma. 12,000 among them are expected to return to Burundi by December 31st this year in a voluntary repatriation program due to kickoff on this Thursday. The Burundi Home Affairs Minister has accused the Rwandan government to prevent refugees on its territory to return home for its own interest. Figures show that Rwanda hosts about 85,000, most of them living in the eastern Mahama refugee camp. For Channel Africa, this is Bernard Bankokira reporting from Bujumbura. North Korea's latest nuclear bomb test should be a last wake-up call to the international community on the need to build diplomatic bridges through the test ban treaty. That's the view of the Executive Secretary of the Preparatory Commission for the Comprehensive Nuclear Test Ban Treaty Organization, Lassina Zerbo. He said that the pace of UN Security Council sanctions was not in sync with the reality of North Korea or DPRK's nuclear weapons program and diplomacy needed to move faster to counter the threat. Christina Silveira asked Zerbo what the CBTBO's data revealed about Sunday's underground test in North Korea. We've detected a signal that was located in the Korean Peninsula, precisely at the location of the previous announced DPRK nuclear test. So our analysts have been working uh, day in and day out to try and give the technical specification to our state signatories for them to draw the conclusion. This is where we stand now. We talk about a magnitude that is 6 compared to 5.1 from those uh, that were done in uh, 2016. This is a clear indication that things are progressing in that part of the world. Can you tell us what this magnitude and this increment indicates to us about the DPRK's nuclear program? A magnitude 6 compared to uh, a magnitude 5.1 in uh, 2016, if you take it in the logarithmic scale, I'll just use Hiroshima in comparison. I think we're talking about uh, a detonation that is 10 to 20 times bigger than Hiroshima that was detonated 72 years ago. Uh, that's uh, indicative that uh, the nuclear weapon program of the DPRK is reaching a stage that should be concerning for the international community. If you compare this to the 2006 one, I think they've come a long way, but they've gone that far. 
What do you think should be done in the face of this latest test? We've seen the Security Council condemn, reinforce its sanction regimes. I have the feeling that the pace of the sanction is not in sync with the way we could stop uh, the DPRK. How this can be done? I think multilateral diplomacy has shown through the joint consultative plan and action with Iran that there's room to negotiate and look to come to an agreement, but maybe we should go faster, uh, faster because we cannot let this program go on. It will jeopardize the all arms control and non-proliferation regime as a whole and then give us a big risk in uh, proliferation of a weapon of mass destruction because people will say, if North Korea can do it and then nothing happens, why not us? And that's a risk that we might see in this world, and that's a risk that is unacceptable. So diplomacy should prevail. Multilateral diplomacy is done for that. And then I hope that the international community will take this latest act from the DPRK as the last wake-up call to consider the CTBT, the Comprehensive Test Ban Treaty, as a bridge builder or a possible bridge builder in this negotiation as a whole. North Korea should adhere to the moratorium on nuclear testing, and North Korea should consider the signature of the Comprehensive Test Ban Treaty. Are we in time to prevent the DPRK from becoming a nuclear arms-bearing nation? It's difficult to speculate whether we are in time or not, but what I can say, it's never too late to do well or to do good. Because it's never too late to do well or to do good, I can say that it's about time that we act urgently as a matter of urgency on the DPRK to get them to stop the nuclear weapon program where it is and as it is today. And that was Lassina Zerbo, Executive Secretary of the Preparatory Commission for the Comprehensive Nuclear Test Ban Treaty Organization, speaking to Christina Silviero. It's 8.41 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. It's time to get serious about keeping ambitions high on climate action and on building resilience, so says the Secretary-General of the United Nations in expressing the organization's solidarity after devastating weather events led to extreme flooding in the United States, Nepal, India and Bangladesh in recent weeks. The remarks by Antonio Guterres come as a Category 5 hurricane named Irma is barreling towards islands in the Caribbean, including the U.S. territory of Puerto Rico, with an additional tropical storm named Jose already formed in the Atlantic that could potentially follow the same path. Show and Bryce Peace reports. Hurricane Irma is currently packing winds of up to 280 kilometers per hour and could potentially reach the United States mainland in the state of Florida by the end of the weekend. UN Chief Antonio Guterres warning that we continue to see climate change gathering force. It is true that scientists caution us about linking any single weather event with climate change. But they are equally clear that such extreme weather is precisely what their models predict will be the new normal of a warming world. With science forecasting a dramatic rise in both the frequency and severity of disasters, it's time to get serious about keeping ambitions high on climate action and on building resilience and reducing disaster risk. Recovery operations continue in the states of Texas and Louisiana that bore the onslaught of Hurricane Harvey, a Category 4 when it made landfall on August 25th, 
claiming more than 60 lives and causing damage estimated at almost $200 billion. In Harvey's wake, a Category 5 named Irma. And behind that, heading in a similar direction, is Tropical Storm Jose that could pick up strength as it traverses the warmer waters in the Caribbean. The United Nations stands ready to support relief efforts in any way possible. But the number of natural disasters has nearly quadrupled since 1970. The United States, followed by China and India, have experienced the most disasters since 1995. And last year alone, 24.2 million people were displaced by sudden onset disasters, three times as many as by conflict and violence. And even before the current floods, preliminary reports for this year show that there have been 2,087 deaths from natural disasters. The state of Florida has already declared a state of emergency. The governor, Rick Scott. We all have to keep a close watch on it. If you if you follow the track, we can't tell exactly where the track is. Some people think it might go up the East Coast. Some people think it's uh, going right up to the middle of the state. Some people think it's going to uh, be in the West Coast. Uh, today, I've already had phone calls with uh, sheriffs, police chiefs. We uh, we started this weekend um, with uh, calls with all the counties. Uh, we've already had uh, conference calls with the superintendent. I've, I've talked to uh, the Corps of Engineers. I mean, we you know this we we have to watch it very closely. Irma is already among the top five strongest storms ever observed in the Atlantic Ocean, and the National Hurricane Center is warning it's ideal for further intensification. Florida is known for um, uh, preparing and doing a great job with uh, disasters. We have no idea what's in store. We'll have to pray for the best. Uh, hope you know the, the hope would be that this thing would dissipate and just go out into the Atlantic, but we've got to prepare for the uh, for the worst. In June this year, President Donald Trump withdrew the United States from the Paris Climate Change Agreement, arguing that it was very unfair at the highest level to the United States. I'm Sherwin Bryce-Pease in New York. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Our economics update up next with Tabiso Luhoko. Good morning. The government of Mozambique has banned the import of beef, marten and pork from neighboring South Africa because of an outbreak of foot and mouth disease. Head of the Department of Epidemiology at the Ministry of Agriculture and Food Security, Florentia uh, Cipriano, says the ban also covers the import of live animals from South Africa. Cipriano says they will intensify the measures to control the movement and transit of animals and products along the borders. 
The business capital of Tanzania, Dar es Salaam, has been described as a top city for business opportunity in Africa. The report by auditing firm PricewaterhouseCoopers titled Into Africa, the Continent Cities of Opportunity concentrates on the continent's 20 cities which were judged as most dynamic and future-focused. The report places Dar es Salaam at the top of, of ahead of Lusaka and Nairobi. Lagos and Accra on Opportunity Index. South Africa's Public Enterprises Minister Lynn Brown has slammed a media report alleging that she asked the Eskom board not to suspend the power utilities former acting CEO Majela Koko. She says that the report is tantamount to spreading false gossip. A Sunday newspaper has reported that a last-minute phone call from Brown is believed to have prevented Koko from being suspended in March of this year. Former ESCOM board chairperson Ben Ngubani reportedly called a special meeting on March the 2nd with the intention to suspend Koko in connection with contracts awarded to a company of which his stepdaughter was a director. Reducing the cost of cell phone roaming charges in the Southern African region has been discussed at the first session of a summit of communications ministers in South Africa's coastal city, Durban. South Africa's communications minister, Ayanda Lotlo, formally opened the three-day meeting on SADC's ICT needs for the next decade. Smartphones have led to the digital explosion in Africa despite high data costs. Lotlo outlined the aims of the summit. But further reduced communication costs will also enable other critical development in the ICT sector for our region. These include universal broadband rollout and universal broadcasting services. We will also, during this year's meeting, also discuss strategies and programs for the fourth industrial revolution in our region. All these require efficient, effective, affordable, reliable and universal broadband access and services to all. Egypt's non-oil private sector business activity shrunk in August at the slowest pace since July last year. The Emirates NDB Egypt Purchasing Managers Index for the non-oil private sector rose to 48.9 in August from 48.6 a month before, but remained below the 50 mark that separates the growth from contraction. Output continued to decline in August. The U.S. dollar trades at 12.92 in South Africa. It's at 10.5 in Botswana and at 9.9 in Zambia. It's also trading at 0.77 to the British pound and at 0.84 to the euro. Gold is trading at $1,338, platinum $1,001 an ounce. The price of brand crude oil is at $53.18 a barrel. You still listening to Africa Rise and Shine. Our sports update up next with Figile Lingwati. Figile, Cap Verde. Cap Verde. You know, they are ranked 114th in the world. And uh, they are 30th in, on the continent. And we are way above that. It's Bafana Bafana. But now, home and away is embarrassing. Mm. Very embarrassing. Disastrous. Mm. Give us an update.
First up in our sports update this hour, we're looking at the football. South Africa's Bafana Bafana sank to one of their lowest points in history and left their 2018 FIFA World Cup prospects in doubt after an embarrassing 2-1 qualifying defeat to Cape Verde Islands in Deben last night. This defeat meant South Africa dropped to last in Group D with two matches to play. Coach Shad Baxter was shattered afterwards, calling the loss the most disappointing of his career. I've not had anywhere I've been a more disappointing feeling than I've got now after a football game. I read last night that Lars Lagerbeck, his team lost Norway, lost 6-0 to Germany, and he's never lost more than 3-0 in his life, and he was devastated. Well, this feels like that. I know how he feels. This feels like that. I mean, I don't think... I've seen a lot of teams playing against South Africa, and I've seen them beat South Africa, and a lot of those teams that beat South Africa were not as good as these. I think they played they played decently. I think this is a decent team. So to qualify it as the worst result in the history of the game, that's that's you got to do that, not me. Even though Bafana Bafana lost the game, there was still a glimmer of hope for them after Burkina Faso and Senegal. Their other two group rivals played to a 12 draw. The Beginabe remained top, now with six points, followed by Cabo Verde, also on six. Senegal have five and South Africa four. Baxter refused to focus what may or may not happen during the rest of the campaign, instead saying that he will continue to believe as long as it was mathematically possible to reach the finals in Russia next year. At this moment, to make that sort of call, I don't want to. I would like to see what happens with the other results and see if it's mathematically possible. I think we've got to, we've got to improve. We've got to improve, obviously, because we've just come off two defeats. We've got to improve, even if the results go our way, to take that chance. And obviously we'll keep doing it, but things have got to go our way and then we've got to improve. At this moment in time, I'm very, very disappointed and... It's difficult to see the sun coming up tomorrow, let alone us qualifying for Russia. So maybe I'll be in a better, a better frame of mind and I'll give you a, a reason when my head goes up a little bit. Finally, Athletics News, the National Olympic Committee of Kenya, NOC, has set the election date of its new officials for the 29th of September. The choice has been made during the extraordinary executives meeting in Nairobi on Tuesday. The order to organize the poll was issued by the International Olympic Committee, IOC. Paul Tegart was the unopposed presidential candidate during the last election date back in May when the exercise aborted. Tegart is largely expected to be the new president of NOC if Kip Keino, the incumbent, does not get things his way. That's your Sport News this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai.
Recapping our top stories in Africa, Raz and Shan at the Sawa, South Africa's President Jacob Zuma calls for calm in the Sutu. Rwandan politician Diane Rigara has been released from prison and Burundian refugees agree to be repatriated. It wraps up Africa, Raz and Shan today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumutora Magaza and Selina Ndobong, technical producer Mario Edwards and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info at channelafrica.co.za or tweet us at Africa or send an SMS on 277-969-57930 or WhatsApp on 277-6300. 3327. I'm taking us to the top of the hour for the news on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa. It's Angkor with a song titled Gifela Bil. from the girls you used to know. The last time I saw you was back in the days in her. The worst time of the day was when school was over. Cause when she had to leave me and let me break my heart. There are three little you have to take me
Oh, 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 oh,